Welcome to the first episode of our new podcast, Shit I Should Have Read in School, the podcast where we go back and read the classic books we should have read in high school, but we were too busy doing some cliche teenager millennial things, like downloading games on our TI-84 calculators instead. Dude, Brick Breaker got me through algebra. I would play that now, actually. They should put it on Game Boy. They probably have that on a Game Something Boy. Something that also <laughs> doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> On today's episode, we join the inmates of Nurse Ratchet's ward in Ken Kesey's classic, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. We'll discuss who's the real villain, McMurphy or Nurse Ratchet. He absolutely breathes life into that facility. I would be like fascinated to see like her job description. She is the Dolores Umbridge of the Cuckoo's Ward. And for extra credit, we're joined by actress Ivana Lynch. You probably know her best as the lovable Luna Lovegood from the Harry Potter universe, who brings book report worthy insights students would want to plagiarize. That quote just blew my mind. And I loved it because it's like, that's what life is, that you have to hold that duality. You don't blot out the pain and try and pretend it's not there, but also there's humor too. There's two sides to everything. But first, let's introduce ourselves with our favorite Jack Nicholson film as a nod to his Randall McMurphy portrayal in the film adaptation. And if we had read the book before. I'm Lisa Marie, and I have never read this book before, and that is okay. Once was enough. I, I'm i going to go with the classic A Few Good Men for Nicholson. Ooh, okay. Uh, I'm Lauren, and I'm probably going to be publicly stoned for this, but I really have not seen that many Jack Nicholson movies. Uh, so the one I probably remember him most for would be the good old Depatted or uh, Something's Gotta Give. But Diane Keaton won that movie, not Jack. Sorry. Yeah, he was just her helper at that yes. point. Mm-hmm. It was a gross old man who liked younger women. Shocker. Very, very new and original. <laughs> very off-brand. Yep. <laughs> also, I have never read this book before. Well, I'm Katie, and I also have never read this book before. And I was torn between Something's Gotta Give and A Few Good Men. I think I gotta go A Few Good Men on this one. Like, you want the truth? You can't handle the truth. It's iconic. I don't it know. I think iconic. that's, I gotta, I gotta go with that. Mm-hmm. Although something's gotta give. I love a good finding Diane love Keaton. again. I, I love Diane Keaton. That's true. It is mostly <laughs> Diane Keaton in that. So yeah, a few good men with a nod to Diane Keaton. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Fair enough. All right. So let's learn a little bit about this book. So it was written by Ken Kesey, published in 1962 to rave reviews. Instant hit. People loved it. Uh, Kesey was a weird dude. He loved himself <laughs> some LSD. and <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> yeah, well. Um, and he actually had his first LSD experience when he volunteered for a government experience, and they gave him psychiatric drugs to test how it affects the mind. They wanted to see if it was a mind control or if you could meld the mind. So he just signed right up for a government experiment and they gave him some LSD and he was hooked. Loved it. Thank you, government. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. I gotta read more about this time period because this is not the first time I've heard that the government experimented with LSD and I'm like, what? He would have thrived. I'm just, if it was government experimented, they're gonna pay me, I'm in. He had that experience and then, but he got the inspiration for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest when he was working just an odd job as an attendant on a mental ward and he became buds with all of the patients there. He was like, there's nothing wrong with these people. They're my friends. I'm like them, they're like me. And then he he wrote this book, just cashed in on that on that part time job. 
<laughs> a side hustle to a side hustle. I love yes. it. Um, so now that we know a little bit about why Ken wrote this classic, Katie and Lauren, why don't you tell us a little bit about Chief Bromden's uh, experience in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Yes, uh, we do meet Chief Bromden in this book, and he's called Chief Bromden because he's Native American. Um, so we're at a psychiatric facility, a la Girl Interrupted, and Chief Bromden is taking us through his his daily life. Uh, as I was reading about life at this facility, seen through his eyes and descriptions, it was honestly really hard for me to tell what was imagined in his head and what was real. Uh, I'm sure that's how he felt at many times as well, because it is a mental asylum after all. But that aside, this place is uh, a very well-run machine, and that's how our head nurse, Miss Ratchet, likes it. So Ratchet likes her ward run as she sees fit, and deviations from her carefully calculated schedule or restrictive protocols could end with the offender getting a few shocks of electricity to his temples. Chief's described through his fellow ward inhabitant's eyes as someone who could give Shaq a run for his money. Like, boy is tall and thick with two C's. Um, everyone also thinks he's deaf because apparently one day he stopped making an effort to speak long ago because people just kind of assumed he was dumb. So now people just assume he's deaf and dumb. But this actually gives him a certain advantage uh, with life at the institution because he's now privy to conversations that other people aren't since people think he can't hear. So he gets to see a lot of what goes on behind the scenes at this institution. Because of this, though, because people think he's deaf and dumb, he's considered a lifer at the facility or what they refer to as chronic, uh, with their abilities limited to basically consciousness and medication consumption. So basically the cases who won't be leaving the facility ever again. Then you have the acutes, who are the cases with more of a likelihood of improvement and the potential of release back into the wild that is the outside world. One day, one such acute makes his uh, entrance onto the ward in unprecedented fashion. We meet Randall McMurphy, or Mac, as he comes to be known by his admirers in the facility. McMurphy is supposedly here for a good time, not a long time. He transfers to this facility after previously residing in prison for statutory rape, among other offenses. And you can just tell rule-abiding has never been his forte, so his problems with authority make themselves known from minute one on the ward. Obviously, this disruptive behavior makes him public enemy number one to Miss Ratchet, and so she spends the entirety of this book attempting to break this pony spirit. She almost succeeds when McMurphy realizes that his duration in this new form of hell is completely dependent on her recommendation, <laughs> and not when he decides he's ready to go. That said, in his best efforts to subvert Nurse Ratchet's well-oiled machine, he also ends up breathing some life into this stifled community. His mischievous antics and penchant for gambling and betting help acutes and chronics alike find their voices again. There's no better example of this than when he manages to organize a fishing outing for 10 of the guys. He wins favor with the doctor, secures not only permission to go, much to Ratchet's utter dismay, but transportation, alcohol, and a sex worker for good measure. Um, <laughs> this fishing trip honestly is really a turning point for the ward and those who inhabit it. It's just something about the fresh air, the lack of Ratchet's rules, and daily sedatives probably that emboldens these former shells of themselves. Even Chief comes out of his fog. McMurphy actually figures out quickly that Bromden isn't deaf or dumb for that matter, and he kind of helps Chief realize that someday he could function outside of this facility again. Maybe he's not as much of a chronic as he thinks. After the fishing outing, Big Nurse's retaliation comes in the form of a humiliating shower with disinfectants for all who went. This obviously ends poorly for the orderlies tasked with administering said shower, uh, and mainly McMurphy and Chief bloodying these boys up a bit in their attempts. 
Ratchet was probably counting on something along these lines so she could finally have the permission to go ahead. Uh, gives her all the firepower she needs to prescribe some good old EST up in the disturbed ward for the two insubs. That's uh, electroshock therapy for anyone who doesn't know. It apparently takes more than a few bolts of electricity, though, to take down our Mac Daddy. If anything, it's the inciting inspiration he needs to pull off the biggest con this facility has ever seen. One of the fishing trip boys, Billy Bibbit, was quite taken with the prostitute McMurphy had brought along. So Mac decides to do, you know, the benevolent thing and sneak her into the facility late one night for a little sexy time with Billy. Of course, she comes bearing booze again, plus another special friend, and the boys take to partying like it's 1999. You know, what we call college nowadays. Uh, if only he had remembered to wake up in time to sneak the ladies of the night back out of the ward before Miss Ratchet found out. It could have been a real nice memory for everyone. But McMurphy didn't, and when Big Nurse finds Billy Bibbit and his special friend in various states of undress, she puts a final nail in the coffin of McMurphy's reign on the ward. Her in isn't by punishing McMurphy, though. Instead, she guilt trips Billy because he's a lot more susceptible to uh, her wiles and uses the threat of telling his mother what he'd done to make him truly unravel. While Billy's locked up in the doctor's office, uh, while Miss Ratchet deals with the rest of the offenders, the shame and idea of his mother finding out is too much for fragile Billy, so he cuts his own throat and dies. His death and McMurphy's relocation to Disturbed is the final push Chief needs to get out of Dodge. McMurphy comes back a vegetable after actually getting lobotomized, but instead of letting McMurphy become a cautionary tale that Nurse Ratchet can use to scare future rebel rousers into submission, Chief smothers him with a pillow, effectively martyring him instead. Chief hasn't been skipping leg day since Mac came to town, though, and he uses his refreshed strength to lift up a giant control panel in the spa room, throw it through and shatter a window, and run to freedom. His plan is to go back to the government-controlled reservations where he came from and reacquaint himself with his Native American heritage and lifestyle. A song from his childhood that his grandmother used to sing to him has been coming to mind recently, singing of, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. All right, so now that we know exactly what happens in this book with a little synopsis, when we get back, we will discuss if McMurphy was a good or bad influence on the other wardmates. So McMurphy, he comes in hot to the ward. He is there to entertain and he's there to gamble and he's stubborn and, and he does not like Nurse Ratchet's rules and he wants to show these other guys on the ward that you do not need to follow her rules. You can think for yourself and step outside your box. He is there to liberate these men. Do you think that that is truly his motives or do you think that he's there for selfish reasons? Do you think that he like ultimately helps them or do you think he ultimately like ends up screwing these poor guys over what are our thoughts on mcmurphy i think both of these things can be true i think he <laughs> unintentionally helps them but his motives were completely selfish like you notice once he learned that he was the only one that was actually committed in there he shut the fuck up right away i mean he's literally ripping these guys off the entirety of the book he was stealing money from them and by stealing i mean he's like openly hustling them like <laughs> i think that you can be selfish in motive and still help people but then also this is going to be a bunch of contradictions but then also he has people die because of him i could make the argument did billy bibbit get to live before he died absolutely but if mcmurphy wasn't there that guy would still be alive no i disagree I, though no one made that uh -huh. man commit suicide fair yeah but if anything ratchet pushed him it. to his edge yeah no, I don't know. You don't know that she he knows. wouldn't have done it. You don't know that like something else could not have upset his mother 
and he committed. So no she one knew which button to commit suicide. No, she knew which button to press, though. I don't think she thought he was going to kill himself, but she knew he was going to yeah. feel guilty. Like by sequence of events, I can understand how you'd be like if McMurphy hadn't introduced him to this woman and this in- woman introduced him to a good time and then his mother wasn't made him crazy and that like by like process of elimination six dings down the road mcmurphy is responsible for billy babbitt's death but like yeah. billy babbitt committed suicide that's on him that's on him so no one made him do that fair i will not argue that point <laughs> but i do think that mcmurphy was selfish in his intentions and then once he realized that, one, he was never going to get out, he shut up real quick. And then once he realized he was genuinely just going to die a martyr for these people and really stick it to Nurse Ratchet, this is where his turning point is. And it became about other people. He had kind of been like, you know what? Electric shock me all you want. I'm not getting out of here. He kind of had a death wish for himself, in my opinion. I still think that was kind of selfish. But I think for everybody else, it kind of showed them that they could live outside themselves and be comfortable. And I don't think his motive had to be right in order to get a good result for others. Sure. I think he came in there absolutely with like a warped sense of reality, just just period, not even from like a, a mental health standpoint. I think he just came in there thinking his shit didn't stink. The way he lives life is fine, regardless of the fact that he was in prison because of it and now transferred to a psychiatric facility. So, yes, Katie, I, I agree. I don't think he came in there with the intentions. I'm going to save these guys. Like, obviously, they're all fine. I think he came in there thinking the way I live life is fine. You guys should try it. Like, it's, who's it gonna hurt? And I think, again, to Katie's point, I think he ends up hurting and helping in doing that. Obviously, he is not a trained medical professional. <laughs> he had no right to be kind of like weighing in or experimenting or trying to get these guys out of their shells in a way that wasn't like taking into account their very fragile state of mind, like Billy Bibbit, like Obviously, that kid needed to he enjoyed living a little, but he wasn't in a good enough state of mind to get to a point where he could live with the consequences of living a little. And that that was a problem. And that's a little on McMurphy just because he created the setting in which Billy Bibbit got to experience life in a way he wasn't going to in that facility pre McMurphy. But he absolutely breathes life into that facility. And you see all of these guys kind of coming out of their own I don't have a better word to describe fog, you know what I mean? Where they all just kind of, it's like herd mentality, like this is the way things go. So this is the way we have to do it. It's the way it's always been done. It's the way it's always going to be done. And McMurphy kind of comes in and bucks the system and is like, but why? It's interesting to think about how like individually each of these men are in there, not because there's something mentally wrong with them. It's just like they can't figure out how to follow the rules in the outside world. Like, Mm -hmm. Chief, there's nothing wrong with him. He just stopped talking. Yeah, people thought he was stupid, so he just stopped talking. Like, Mm -hmm. he's he's fine. But he goes in there and they teach you how to just follow the rules and be part of this system. And McMurphy does come in and he's like, there's nothing wrong with doing your own thing. And you do your own thing, and then there will be consequences. Good consequences? Like, Chief, the consequence was he learned to be himself, and he got to go home. But Billy, like, he learned to be himself, and the consequences were bad. I don't blame him for Billy Babbitt's death. I think that eventually, like, all his actions led to those guys being more themselves. Yeah. I think it's a good thing. (laughs) 
for better or worse, too, all of these guys, their mental states was um, heavily dependent on like a sense of power. And I think what helped Nurse Ratchet maintain her sense of power, and that's what she wanted, I think, is to make them feel powerless. So to shame them about their sexual in- inequities or to have them tattletale on each other. And I think that just breeded this like toxic environment where they all felt powerless to change their surroundings, their future, their their mental states. And I think he comes in and he goes, or you can use that as your power. So like when they're going fishing and they get stopped at the gas station, the attendants can tell right away they're from the mental institution. Instead of them feeling like ashamed about the fact that they're mental institution patients, McMurphy's like, yeah, I got a bunch of crazies in the back here. So don't talk shit to us or we'll fuck you up. And that makes them all, it it emboldens them a little bit. And they're all like, oh, wait, maybe I don't need to be this powerless, you know, sedated rule follower. Maybe what makes me different is actually a strength. Mm -hmm. So I don't think he's magnanimous, but I think he does uh, kind of help them go. Maybe there isn't only one way to see the world and to see Mm -hmm. what we bring to it. Yeah. He, he does kind of release the individuality in all of them. Like, yes. whether that is good or bad. I yes. don't want to, like, I don't want to be like, he released all of them and freed them to be themselves. Yes. No, like, he Billy Babbitt got fucked up. Yeah. But, but no blanket statement is applicable yeah. there. Yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about Nurse Ratchet. So she, culturally, I find, like, for someone who had not really heard of that book, I had heard of Miss Ratchet. She is the ultimate villain when you think about this book. So I went into it thinking, oh, Nurse Ratchet's the ultimate villain. And then I will say, at the end, she sucks. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to preface and be like, she's misunderstood. She's not. Um, But but like, is she the, is she like the the villain that she culturally has been made to be? Is she a lady who's like just trying to do her job um, and then gets carried away? I don't know. Like, how do we feel about Nurse Ratchet? I also grew up, like, my mom used to be like, oh, such a nurse ratchet. Like, that was, like, a weird <laughs> phrase that in our household that, like, I had no context for, but I was grew up with this as a child. So I also had this, like, impression of her of just being this, like, lobotomizing villain. Mm-hmm. And like you said, she is. Ultimately, she's yeah. running her ward in a way that by today's standards or by, you know, 1965 standards... Mm-hmm. Is not, she's not trying know, to help these men. No, she's not trying yeah. to help these men. She understands that one unruly person in her ward breaks all the cogs. Mm-hmm. And she's like, absolutely not. I've run a tight ship mm-hmm. and I will not deviate from the plan. And you know what? My ward is, they are in line. Those mm-hmm. soldiers are in line and she yeah. runs it well. It works until it doesn't. Yeah. It works until it doesn't. Yeah. Yep. All good dictators, it works until it doesn't. <laughs> exactly. And this revolution that Max starts in the war, it throws her. Like, she loses yeah. her cool. And you're like, oh, man, this is about to go down. And she's going to EST him until he is beat into submission, and which eventually she does win. But on some level... She's just kind of trying to run her her ward, in my opinion. Like, she's just, maybe she doesn't know how to do it the best way. And to the detriment of other humans, which she uh, is pretty terrible. But Mm -hmm. she is just trying to run a ward. I don't think there's, like, more than maliciousness going there. I think she is a castrating succubus. (laughs) (laughs) 
What is a succubus? <laughs> so someone who like kind of uh, God, I'm gonna have a Sucks shitty definition. The soul out of you. Yeah, in context clues, Katie. Context clues, <laughs> succubus, but also there's like a sexual connotation there too, and like what's kind of like the biggest. Um, uh, insecurity for men in general, I think, and women, let's, let's be honest, but for men, it's, it's sexual inadequacies, right? So I think she uses this to emotionally and somewhat physically like castrate these men, you know, she doesn't ever actually remove their fucking dicks, but like she emasculates them. Um, Mm -hmm. she reigns over them. She has power over them by leaning in to their sense of insecurity, inadequacy, um, and powerlessness. And I think that is, I, I think she kept those men in this institution longer than most of them would have needed to be. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's one person there after reading these stories and getting the background. Obviously, you're only getting it through Chief's eyes, but he's privy to a lot of things. So you get to see how she talks to the other male doctors and like board members when they're deciding on McMurphy's future. And she's she likes to be head honcho in the room. I'm not going to fault her for that. But the way she goes about it is not helping anyone but herself. So just as much as we think McMurphy's not magnanimous and, you know, is coming in there because he's selfish. I think she's selfish as shit, too. I can't think of one person on that ward that she actually helped. Yeah. I would be, like, fascinated to see, like, her job description. Yeah. Like, is her job description keep shit in line or is yeah. your job description you're there to rehabilitate exactly because what's her, her job description <laughs> is to keep shit in line she is great at her job correct if her job description is to get these men healthy and out of there which it might not be that could be the doctor's job yeah she's not a doctor um then she's the worst human in the world so i think like not not to be like depending on your job description you're good or bad but like I, I don't know. Like, depends on kind of what you think she's there to do. I don't know. Uh, uh, like, let me rephrase. At the end of the day, she lobotomizes a fully healthy man. So she is full on crazy. But <laughs> up until that point, in the same way you could think that, like, Mac is responsible for Billy Babbitt's death, is Mac responsible for pushing her to that point where then he ended up yeah. getting Forcing lobotomy? her hand and yeah. To, yeah, to maintain order again. Yeah. No, I don't want to, like, be the spokesperson for defending Nurse Ratchet. I just think that, like, (laughs) there's a sequence of events where you're just like, I see how she got there. I wish she had not. (laughs) Yeah. I want to know what schooling she went to and what what degree she has, where it's like (laughs) Like, having grown grown men tattletale on each other. That's Mm going to definitely rehabilitate them and make them able to stand on their own two feet in the real world, telling men that they're not able to. She's not trying to make them rehabilitate them in the real world. If she's just trying to figure out what's happening on the ward around her. Yeah. She's doing her job. I don't know. I guess. It's fucked up. And I think that's like. The brilliance of the writing is that mm-hmm. it's so fucked up where you're like, oh, I get it, but how awful. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the the scariest weapon that Nurse Ratchet had for me is time. She knew how yeah. to use time mm-hmm. to her advantage. I mean, mm-hmm. she played the long game in the she way that did. she staffed her crew. Like she mm-hmm. and they talk about it, like it took her years to find like the perfect little minions to do her bidding. It mm-hmm. took her years to like 
foil these doctors. When Mac comes and disrupts it, she doesn't do anything outside of manipulative group therapy sessions, sure, picking on their insecurities, but she Mm -hmm. does nothing of like actual lobotomizing substance until 75% into the book to stop because she's like, you know what? No, time is on my side. They're Mm -hmm. here forever and so am I. I can wait this out. That's terrifying. That is the number one thing is she uses... Mind games. Yeah. 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 The way she uses her power is a lot more subtle, correct? Like I think Mm -hmm. her and McMurphy are just opposite ends of the spectrum of how they come in and kind of show their influence she's very much like i'm gonna suggest things so that the rest of the group think it's their idea and they came up with it and that they're actually not okay with how mcmurphy is she insinuates yeah (laughs) honestly yes (laughs) (laughs) she insinuates and kind of lets them uh think it's their idea whereas mac just comes in like nope it's my idea (laughs) (laughs) yeah so she does play the long game i didn't she does that way Mm -hmm. but you're right that was the scariest aspect to me is when she Mm -hmm. like doesn't do anything with mcmurphy and she i think she even like openly says it or brahmed and kind of notes it she's like no, I've got time. I'll wait this out. You can yeah. make a ruckus all you want. We Watch can play these TV. games. Yeah. Watch that blank TV. Doesn't affect my life. I'll yep. see you in like six to ten years. Yep. <laughs> Still be here. Yeah. She's like, on yeah. She knows she play- has all the cards. Like, even yeah, if she does. gets riled up, she knows she has all the cards. Yeah, she's like uh, a little Dolores Umbridge to me. Oh, she's- yes. Yeah, where she's just like, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let this go right now, but you'll pay for it later. I don't know. Mm-hmm. She's a, a Dolores Umbridge villain. She's a little sneakier. Like, yeah. Yeah. And in this, in the same way, like, what was Dolores Umbridge's goal? Her goal was to keep the Ministry in control. Yeah. To free the world. No. I don't know. That's <laughs> where goal is, I guess. That is a terrific parallel. She is the Dolores Umbridge of the Cuckoo's Ward. <laughs> Join us for our sister Harry Potter podcast where we focus on... <laughs> I can turn anything into Harry yes, Potter. Yes, you really genuinely can. can. <laughs> I really can. But I remember Stephen King like wrote one time that Dolores Umbridge is one of like the greatest villains of all time. And yeah. like, it's she not is. Voldemort, it's Dolores Umbridge. And so yeah. like in the same way, like Nurse Ratchet. Oh yeah, it's a lot more sinister. Game. Yeah, mm-hmm. the I, catch you. Mm-hmm. That made sense to me. I, I, wow, yeah. And that Dolores Umbridge, I will put N- Nurse Ratchet down as one of the greatest villains of all time, mostly all because right. she has nothing to lose. Yeah. Whereas Dolores yeah. had a little bit to lose, but North Ra- Nurse Ratchet had really nothing to lose. She was fully in a position of power, and she she used it in the, the, mo- the most detrimental <laughs> and destructive way possible, slowly and over time. <laughs> do you think she met her match in Mac, or do you think she ultimately wins? He, he got the better of her, I will say, but she has the power to write a lobotomy script for him, so yeah. I think... <laughs> what does that say about, like, the message... I'm sorry, Katie, you go. I, I was gonna say, do you think Mac was the first person to really rile her, or she's like, I've seen this before. I know I, how this is gonna end. I think he just got her the farthest probably anyone had because yeah. she takes it slow and plays a long game. Because at, at first, none of his tactics are, I feel like, new to her. She's like, I know how to handle handle this. And I think with most people in the past, the way she tried to handle Mac is worked. You know what I mean? And for a little bit with Mac, it did work. But ultimately, at the end, yeah. doesn't she send him like? The people who bother her before, they always end up in, like, that other ward. Disturbed. Yeah, the mm-hmm. disturbed ward. So, like, eventually, I guess, the people that got equally as far as Mac, they just go to disturb, and she's like, we're done with you. Yep. And then you're here forever. Like, that's their punishment, is, like, at least in her ward, there's a hope of getting out. But once you send you to disturbed, like, you're done So Well, and she held off on sending him to disturbed at first, because all the doctors agreed his behavior, like, we got to send him. And she's like, no, 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 
she knows that's going to make him a martyr in their eyes. And she goes, mm-hmm. she knows that she's not going to be able to keep control over this new ward that has like new life in it and um, has starting to think for themselves and have individuality. Mm-hmm. She's not going to do that by making him a martyr and setting him up to disturb. She's got to undermine him, basically, in their eyes first. That's why she had to play it that way, because everyone else before wasn't a god in... The team leader. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. So she could handle them very quickly by sending them off to disturb. She had to turn public opinion. Yep. (laughs) Do you think he's even... When he talks about this book, it's kind of like individuality versus conformity. Who won here at the end of this book? What's the message that like individuality won? Because Chief, who I guess is our ultimate person that we're watching in this book, Chief is free. Or do you think that like conformity won because Ratchet ultimately ends up kicking this guy to the curb? So what do you think that says about Keezy's message of individuality versus conformity? I think you... um... Or does it just say, TBD, we're working on this? (laughs) Well, so individuality ultimately wins but each individual on their own could not have won each person had to speak up and it became more of like a mob mentality they didn't have to conform to the rules of this but they did each have to step up in their individuality in order to take pride and try and overcome ratchet so i think if one of them had chosen not to do it and like go to nurse ratchet side i don't think ultimately it would have won i think it was like the mob mentality and each person discovering their individuality which becomes a collective whole there had to be a sense of togetherness with it to win I get what you're saying. I, I think McMurphy is kind of the only true individual in this because mm-hmm. he does what he does independent, really, of everyone else. And he's doing it for self-serving purposes. Absolutely. But I think he also gives permission to everyone else on the ward. And, and that gives them like power and, um, yeah, permission to kind of voice, have thoughts of their own or, and voice their opinions um, that mm-hmm. they didn't feel comfortable with doing. But safety in numbers so yeah. <laughs> mac is kind of the only one who's outwardly um you know bucking the system mm-hmm. and then everyone because of him he gives them that room to also do so that's the only reason they ever step out of line that's the only reason that ev- they ever express individuality or opinion mm-hmm. um is because he kind of set the bar and they all felt safer in the space he created from that so i think he wins in that aspect and a lot of them at the end of the book they say end up leaving um, you know, transferring to different wards. So she no longer gets to have her hold over these specific men. But that being said, I don't, it's unclear if she gets removed from this position. Doesn't sound like it. Sounds like she yeah, maintains. She gets new men. She's yes. employee of the month. Yeah. Yes. So I, I don't know if it's like someone lost and someone won. I mm-hmm. would say it's more of a, he definitely chipped away at her previous conceptions of power. I would be curious to know, like, after, like, in my head, what happens after this book? Like, yes. so she gets these new guys and she's like, now we know we have to nip a McMurphy in, in the, the bud, bud earlier. Yep, yep, yep. Learned the long game continues. Yes. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yes, her trying to play the long game ultimately yeah. gave him more time to sow his seeds of insurrection. <laughs> so, but I'd be curious too to see how well Chief does back out in the real world. Like now that he's got the courage to literally break out of this facility and go back to where he's from where he's from is kind of half of the reason he institutionalized himself to begin with um so i i'd be curious to see how he does outside of this and it it would have to be solely in credit to mcmurphy not anything on that ward but Mm -hmm. mcmurphy given him that space to do so yeah mcmurphy rehabilitated him yeah instead of that ward yep yeah 
So obviously these men are not actually insane. They are there because the society of the time has told them that their individuality is wrong. However, none of these men really have a support system outside the institution to embrace their individuality until McMurphy comes along. Like McMurphy is their little spark. He unleashes them. Yes, he's their spark. It's nice to know that like we have a support system. Unfortunately, these men didn't like Chief mm-hmm. didn't have a family and Billy Babbitt had the crazy mom. And like, it's nice to know that the things that make us individuals are support system embraces where like in this book, their lives could have been different if they oh, had yeah. had a McMurphy outside of yes outside of this ward they didn't have to go into an, a mental institution to learn that like it's okay this environment made them um feel ostracized with their their differences and and i think like what you said our support systems who appreciate <laughs> all of our you know respective flaws quirks whatever you want to call them helps gives us the room to um be who we are and not feel ashamed of that and also function i guess in, in normal society <laughs> Every day. We can can get up. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Stay tuned for extra credit with Ivana Lynch. Welcome back. We're excited to announce this week we'll be offering some extra credit to our listeners. In this segment, we're joined by a special guest to get their take on this week's book. You probably know her best as the lovable Luna Lovegood from the Harry Potter universe, but this week's guest also has podcaster, entrepreneur, author, and activist on her resume, Ivana Lynch. Evie, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. I love the idea of this podcast. I just love that you've given me an excuse to read and to not talk to people over Christmas. It was great. (laughs) Um, So before we get started, let's do some like rapid fire questions. Some just yes, no, to get to know you and get to know like your thoughts on the book. So. Was this required reading for you in school? No, absolutely not. Never. No. But I actually weirdly had the book. I think I was always quite intrigued by it. Just, um, yeah, interested in books about mental health and quote unquote madness, you know, craziness. Yeah. So, yeah, that it called to me. But no, it was never on the syllabus. We should ask this question. If you listened to it or read the book physically, were you a page turner or are you a listener? I, I do listen to audiobooks. It's a snob thing of like with literature. I'm like, I got to concentrate. <laughs> I'll I'll listen to like a nice self-help book in my yeah. ears because my, my idea behind that is like, I want my unconscious being flooded with nice thoughts, <laughs> but I don't have to pay attention. I, I can do the housework. Yeah. Um, but when it's like really good writing. Yeah. yeah. I want my mind to capture every word. Yeah. I got to ask, did you like the book? Oh, my God. I love this book. Did you? I, I really enjoyed it, too. Yeah. Like, I just thought the writing was so beautiful. And I kind of braced myself, you know, when when reading a book that's considered a classic or like a cult hit, because I've usually found them to be disappointing, to be like, oh, the writing is not, because it's of its time, you know, it usually they're cutting edge at that time. And this one so didn't disappoint. The writing was so vivid and beautiful. There were so many sections I was underlining just because I was like, what an interesting, weird way to say something. I mean, it's gut punching so many times. It made me feel joyful and sad and despair at the way people treat people who have mental illnesses. Um, to me, I mean, even that term mental illness, I, I challenge it in my own head because I'm like, but are these people who just are sensitive to the world and life is really freaking hard, you know, and they just can't cope with it. And I'm like, frankly, I can't cope with it either. I just do a good job of pretending. And um, so, yeah, I just thought it was like the fact that th- this was written, what was it, 50, 60 years ago? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. And that 
in some obviously we are more evolved now but but not a whole lot not not in terms of our perceptions of people with these problems um so it was very it was very thought-provoking read for me and at the same time as being so entertaining i i think one of my favorite parts of the book was just the character descriptions mm-hmm. they were just so yeah. funny and weird and specific like uh, i was just rereading a bit where it was introducing the character of harding and he's talking about his hands and he was like two soft white hands as if they'd carved each other out of soap it was just like <laughs> yeah. i love that that's how he that's the details he picked up on yeah, yeah. I really appreciate that about it you said that like some of the characters like maybe they don't need to be on this board maybe they're just like quiet or not in the norm of what society says do you have any like scene that stuck out to you for that i mean they all have moments of total lucidity don't they where they're just mm-hmm. seeming to have a normal conversation I don't know if I can pick a particular scene, but I think just Chief Bromden in general, his character, where him processing stuff from his past. And you, I just kept thinking like, oh, this person is deeply traumatized, but anyone would react that way to his experiences and his, mm. yeah, his background. Um, and that's, that's not a crazy response to have. That's actually really rational. Mm. Um, so yeah, him especially. With mm-hmm. Chief Bromden, too, we're seeing the entire story through his eyes. And there's a quote that's right up front being like, I'm going to narrate this and what <gasps> yes. I say is true. Whether or not it happened. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I love that quote. Do you think he was the best narrator for this tale? Do you think we got the full story? I, I think he was the perfect choice because I think, you know, he his role had a dual purpose where he's a character who has such an interesting arc. He has a journey towards healing and towards freeing himself from his own mental prison and from the physical actual prison. Um, but also the fact that he's quiet. People who are quiet, you know, that they, they notice things. They are able to see details. They have a perspective because like they don't imprint themselves on every situation. He's just kind of hanging back. He's just sort of this lens that we can look through. Um, what is it they say? Like knowledge talks, wisdom listens. And I just really felt that from him. Here's somebody who's been quiet his entire life. So he has this real wisdom and depth and gravitas. And at the same time, when he finally spoke over the chewing gum, and he was just <laughs> like, thank you. Yes. It was beautiful in the movie as well. Sorry, I'm going to flip back and forth between them. They're just, they <laughs> both did do. things to me. But it was yeah. just like, oh. And I didn't realize how much I was like rooting for him or, or yeah. their friendship. I thought their friendship was really beautiful. Like, because... Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll talk about Mac Murphy. He's obviously a very flawed character and you're just always like, do I trust this guy? Do, do, like, mm-hmm. Is it okay that I find him likable and entertaining or is yeah. he just terrible misogynist arsehole? You know? <laughs> but, but the way he sort of really nurtured Bromden and, and was like, he, he just sensed there was something about him and he really wanted to bring him out. Um, so yeah, but I think the, because he was, because he's so quiet, because he isn't this very strong character he's not distinct you don't know what what is going on for a very long time when he has that moment of speaking for the first time and coming out of his shell oh it just it was such a triumphant moment yeah I think Evie made a great point too about like the difference between the the choice of like narrator from the movie and the book because yes I think the movie does still have like Bromden's kind of like VO in the background voiceover in the background but like you are still getting kind of the dramatic Hollywood, like we're playing up their personalities effect, I think. And also just seeing the, the actors play it out. Whereas from the book, you're just seeing Bromden's take on it and that's it. There's no kind of other bias there. 
So it's it's mm-hmm. interesting that you you make that comment because you I agree the movie they they seem a bit more you know off the beaten path um, mm-hmm. and in the book you do they have these moments where you're just like are you just too sensitive for the world you know what I mean like mm-hmm. could you could you go back into the world if you wanted to if you had the right you know support whatever but that's a that was a good point mm. and I also wonder like that, that yeah obviously so I read the book first and then the movie what you were saying there Lauren about he, you know, Chief Bromden, he's, he's not as central to it. You, he's not, it's not all told through his eyes. But like the ending to me, it was so tragic first when, <laughs> I don't know if we want to go there first, but like when McMurphy is brought out, it's just like, yeah. oh my God, you just stole someone's soul. Somebody who had such a big personality and kind of lit up the room for better or worse. And I, I don't know, but then to follow that up with then Bromden getting out, breaking free, it was like, it was, bittersweet is the only word for it where yeah. um yeah it, it i was it was such a euphoric feeling and i'm glad it ended on that note when bromden frees himself i loved that part of the ending where it was almost like they traded one for the other he's like i got to live now you get to live that's how it felt it was definitely just an unexpected ending which i think is mm-hmm. maybe just an art today's day and age you know we've just seen it all done it all already and now we're just doing repetitions of the same stuff that, that worked before but like mm-hmm. i didn't see that ending coming and i love when i'm surprised by an ending and i also love when there's kind of like redemption and someone did get off of this ward you know what i mean someone did uh that time there as good or bad as it was someone helped him get mm-hmm. back out into the real world and give him mm-hmm. the, the courage to to stand back on his own again so that was an awesome ending yeah did you because you know the way all throughout the book it's like this back and forth battle between mcmurphy and nurse ratchet like i was like he's gonna kill her he's gonna like <laughs> yeah but i was like so it's gonna be he's gonna have sacrificed his freedom but he's you know given the middle finger to yeah. put the man yeah. i don't know she yeah. seems like the man you know? but... <laughs> yeah yeah no but it, like that i was like that's it that's what it's gonna be and yeah. then so yeah just the it was so it, it, it was so brutal when it was like he mm. was just kind of taken out of the picture so it was almost worse than being killed or something because it yeah. was what was that like that line where it was like um and the, the justification for why he suffocated why Ram just suffocated yeah. him where he was like he didn't want to leave him as an example for what happens when exactly. you got the system yeah. the idea yeah. of martyrdom yeah it's mm. he wasn't going to be there as an example for her Bromden makes him a martyr and by killing him he actually makes him infinite in that ward and that story mm. and legend will go on forever preserves him yeah but his influence and spirit yeah did you, I have a question do you mind me asking questions yeah, yeah, please. Please. Okay. yeah. <laughs> please um there was a quote that really struck out to me and I'm like is this a hopeful book or is it is it defeatist you know where it goes um the thing that he was whipping you couldn't whip it for good he was basically saying that the system will always win you'll never beat it and but then but then he is freeing himself from it so yeah i just wonder what did did you find it a hopeful book i was yeah. like lisa marie you go first because I, I can tell i know where your answer is going to be well i <laughs> You don't know this about me, Amy, but I only love books that have happy ending. Um, oh, shit. Yeah, so I have a very specific genre where I'm like, loved it. Um, but, um, so I don't think that it was a hopeful. I guess if you're thinks about the perspective, if you're like, I'm here to root for the chief, then it was a hopeful book. He got out. It's this not the system worked for him, but like he went in, he he became more healthy and he left. 
So like if you're thinking of it in that narrow perspective, yes, it was a hopeful book at the expense of a lot of other men. No, not so much. So I think it was just like a good depiction of just like the flaws of the system. That doesn't Absolutely. make me feel hopeful, though. Yeah. I also feel like when we don't see the happily ever after, you don't realize that maybe it isn't a happily ever after. Like, who knows? Maybe Bromden went back to, you know, his family on the reservation and mm. is still getting uh, belittled by, you know, the it's people true. who were treating him like shit before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So not seeing the happily ever after, I think, gives you hope because you're like, yeah, he got out. He found mm. his voice. He got out. That feels hopeful. And like maybe if you um kind of relate more to the Bromden character as opposed to any of the other characters in the book feels hopeful but I mean who knows if we get to see the happily ever after mm. was it mm. so happy for him did he manage to to stay back in the real world and can like continue to keep his voice um mm. and I guess it depends <laughs> I I always knew Nurse Ratchet was gonna win like I you mm. thought were, I just like the entire time I'm like this is cool it's all fun and games I love it I, I at one point I was just like McMurphy's gonna like this is going to kill him like she is going to end this and I think I'm a little bit more okay with living in that darkness and still enjoying the story and how we get there but for mm -hmm. me the book was not hopeful because the overlying power is still in power and I think for me there had to have been a total upheaval um in order for true hope to kind of for this to not happen to somebody else I guess yeah. um so yeah that's a little bit of a bummer but why don't we <laughs> Let's transition into something a little bit, bit of a bummer. Okay. Yeah. Let's transition into something a little bit nicer. I think that like this book is a really good job of having Miff Murphy kind of spark relief. Yeah. Yeah. Spark some like positivity and just joy back into the people's lives. So like Evie, do you have someone in your life who just like it's just a spark of joy? Someone that you go to when you're like, oh, I really need to pick me up, and someone who will like get me out of my funk. Breathe a little positive energy back into this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Several people. Um, I mean, uh, you've read my book, Katie. Like, I have, uh, yeah. like, there are points. So I relate to this book so hard because I kind of did spend time in a sort of institution. It was nothing like that. But <laughs> in other ways, it was. There was that same dynamic of between, like, captor and prisoner and rebel and uh, oppressor. And... Um, it, like there was a drama teacher there who I wrote about it in my book and like he he woke everyone up because he 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 brought creativity back to it and before it was just like you guys are ill you're sick and we're going to fix you and so the only thing you could see feel think about was the fact that you were ill or messed up and that yeah. wasn't healing that actually just made things worse and so um yeah i the, the Lots of this, the parts of the book reminded me of those key people, like in that place, uh, my you know, my drama teacher, or just people along the way who have brought creativity back. And it's actually not even what they say to you or said to me; it's more how they lived their lives. Where it was like, and there's a quote I love. I always think of this: that you change people by your example, not your opinion. And I really think that's. For me, it's true anyway, I that, that when I, yeah, when I see somebody living joyfully and vibrantly, it, it's like it switches on this little light inside me that was kind of dimmed by society or by my own fears. Um, so, yeah, there's been a good few people like that. I think the drama teacher you're describing in your book, like his energy seemed magnetic, like mm -hmm. you, no matter what state you were in at that time or, you know, the circumstance you're around, like the energy that he brought 
and I think like in some ways McMurphy just the buzzing around him it's intoxicating and it mm-hmm. kind of like whether you want it to or not despite your best facade of keeping it out it kind of does seep into you where you're like man this guy's living such a vibrant joyful yes. you know fuck the system in a way life that you're like yeah. it's almost impossible to ignore yeah he woke them up too mm-hmm. yeah it's char- yeah. Char- charisma i think or something like that but like that's what you got that's a good word you said there katie intoxicating like it's just this infectious thing that and it, it it's like Every day is unpredictable. Like you never knew what McMurphy was going to do next, what was going to come out. And that makes you like, okay, you're never going to be in in control, but that's what life should feel like. It should feel like what's going to happen next. And each day is a new day. Uh, Yeah. He just lived each day for the moment and not for, he didn't really think much about the future, but there's kind of a beauty and a freedom in that, that I feel like a lot of people, even in the outside world, don't live their life by i don't live my life by that (laughs) i think that's incredible um so let's pivot a little bit too i feel like we like steered away from the conversation of nurse ratchet because we all have opinions and i wanted to save that for for later so like evie let's just get first first impression opinion of nurse ratchet so i had only just heard of her you know whenever you hear about the book people go ah that old battle axe nurse ratchet you know (laughs) like my dad would have say would say things like that there's there's Mm -hmm. such a mythology around the character that i was like okay i'm ready for like a really evil (laughs) twisted villain let's go Mm -hmm. and i was surprised because i didn't find her as twisted as i think a lot of people would make her out to be i found her like she's obsessed with control but I, I actually saw more more humanity in her than I would. So you guys earlier made, oh, sorry, off the call made um, mm-hmm. comparison to Umbridge in the Harry Potter series. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh no, that one is proper evil. Like she makes children <laughs> carve, you know, not slice their own skin with, with the, right in their own blood. And, and she gets this vicious pleasure out of it. But I didn't feel Ratchet was quite that extent. I felt like she was desperately trying to keep everything in control even like throughout the book there's all these allusions made to her her breasts and how she's so determined to keep her femininity concealed i think a lot of her issues come from that her own internalized misogyny about how she's trying to pretend she doesn't have a sexuality she doesn't she isn't a, a woman she doesn't have a womanly shape so and i think it comes out in her trying to keep control over all these men's lives and she gets a sense of security, a sense of power, her sense of place in the world by doing that. Um, but I didn't feel she was getting pleasure from it. I said to Katie, I was like, I think Nurse Ratchet is, one could make the argument that she is just as deserving as as being on some sort of ward in <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like only that level of like narcissism and someone who hates themselves so much that they need to put other people down to feel better about themselves, have power over people to validate themselves. Like, I think a real case could be made that she she is just as deserving of a little um, help and therapy as well herself, because clearly <laughs> mm. I don't think anyone who likes who they are as a person feels the need to emasculate <laughs> grown men, mm. especially because it doesn't feel like at any point her goal was to help these men. It was just to keep the war running orderly. Really? Do you not think that deep down she thought she was doing the right thing? She thought she was doing a good job. Maybe when she started, I, I that was, was her say. way to be like, this is maybe I'll try this. I'll make them feel like shit and they'll they'll feel better. But I don't think mm-hmm. at this point 
Yeah. I don't feel the two are mutually exclusive. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think she can hate who she is as a person deep down to her core and not realize it and also think or convince herself what I'm doing is the best for these guys. But I think plenty of people have used that rationale to enact horror on other people. You know what I mean? Just genuinely be cruel mm-hmm. to other people. So I, I don't think the two are mutually exclusive, but you're right. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm positive she thinks to herself. I'm helping these then. Yeah, I know mm-hmm. what's best for them. Yeah. If they do what I said, they'll be better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanted to ask you guys, so there's so much sexism in the way McMurphy talks to her. And mm-hmm. I found myself laughing at it, but then judging <laughs> myself for laughing because it was like, oh, shit, I think this is my own internalized misogyny being like, ha, 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 you know, yeah. ask her about her bra size, mock her for her body, make her feel shame for being a woman. <laughs> it was like... <laughs> It made me uncomfortable, but I just wondered how, what, what, how would it do for you? For me, I, the, the breast comments were the things that really, I was like, man, they are digging into objectifying her. And mm-hmm. I think it would just didn't trigger me or it didn't really like, I was like, oh, that's not great. But I was also like, well, you know, mm. if I had somebody ruling over me in such a way, I'd probably take the low hanging fruit as well. Like, and I think yeah. misogyny and just objectifying in the sixties and it was just, of the time totally and i think that's what humanized her again a bit more for me the fact that she we were getting this insight into how men talked about women and how they saw them and obviously a lot of men still do talk about women that way being like oh back then they, they didn't have the language for maybe even talking about feminism so fluently it made me be like well maybe i would be more of a rabid man hating feminist kind of if 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 i was around that yeah environment around and like because even if room talk the locker room talk because even if you don't hear them saying it you can sense it in their behavior and the way mcmurphy he'd be all polite to her and sweet and then he'd say something really crude and really just just very vulgar um yeah it just made it made me understand maybe where she she became such a control freak Mm -hmm. well and definitely why she was so buttoned up yeah literally in that way well, it doesn't yeah. the age old question, would she have gotten this like villain title if she mm-hmm. was a guy or like a hot woman? Would they yeah. have given her as much shit if her goal was fear? Then like she had to be buttoned up. But would it have been possible, I suppose, for a woman to control a, a ward without using fear in those times? Yeah, great question. I would assume probably not. She was probably mm. overcompensating for more than just hating herself deep, deep down. Yeah, she yeah, 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 yeah. Also overcompensating for being a woman in that mm. time and in that position. Yeah, we've got to mm. stop saying one of the worst villains of all time, Nurse Ratchet. I think we really got to yeah. stop knocking that peg down. I know. From her yeah. title. I wonder if she's like one of the greatest villains of all time, just because of the legend of she was like one of the first female villains. I don't, I don't know if that's true. I don't know anything about like what came out in the sixties. <laughs> like it's such a it's been around for so long and everybody knows like the legend of Nurse Ratchet, and then we yeah. read it and we're like it's not the same but then her yeah. final act is Lobot so you're like well if you hadn't done that I would have felt <laughs> yeah. for you lobotomy at the time was a form of what they thought was a form of you know medication treatment. and treatment yeah mm-hmm. and obviously very very wrong I also yeah. think she was just she was of the time yeah mm. but yeah and she sort of like she took an aggressive stance like a, a warrior stance yep. with yeah. her own masculinity she wasn't actually mm-hmm. there was no part of her that was like feminine and sweet and healing mm-hmm. you have to be one of the boys to fight one of the boys yeah but the, mm-hmm. but it's always going to be a fight then if, mm-hmm. if you're both 
holding on to that energy of being warriors and being set against each other, you'll never actually create unity. You're just fighting. Kind of trapped in that epic battle. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And someone's going to have to die, really. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a warrior, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a quote I pulled out earlier that I absolutely loved. Do you mind if I read it? Please. No, you've been doing great quotes this whole time. <laughs> I love your quotes. Yeah. Um, Please do. It's the bit. Oh, where is it? Oh, it is. It's on the fishing trip. And I, I like those were some of my favorite moments in the book, like silent moments they caught of Mag Murphy, his realness, like pain or hope when he wasn't putting on the act. Because um, it was like there was just a, a philosophical depth to him. And that's where the humor was coming from. But anyway, uh, it's he's looking at McMurphy laughing and it's saying, because he knows you have to laugh at the things that hurt you just to keep yourself in balance, just to keep the world from running you plumb crazy. He knows there's a painful side. He knows my thumb smarts and his girlfriend has a bruised breast and the doctor's losing his glasses, but he won't let the pain blot out the humor no more and he'll let the humor blot out the pain. That quote just blew my mind. (laughs) And I loved it because it's like, that's what life is, that you have to hold that duality. You don't Mm -hmm. blot out the pain and try and pretend it's not there, but also... There's humor too. There's two sides to everything. And I think that's sort of the path to true healing, accepting the scope of humanity and the experiences we have, the human condition. And that's why I think this is a hopeful book because I'm like, oh, he reignited something in me as he did for those fictional characters. And Mm -hmm. as I think that character does throughout the years, anyone who reads it, they'll have a moment of that sort of inspiration. There you go, Lisa Marie. Does it feel like a happy ending now? Do you I like feel it like more you now? convinced me. I know. Hey. <laughs> For sure. Yes. I feel like you convinced yeah. me. I just wasn't looking deep enough at the at the outcomes here. Yeah. I feel like that's like a great, like that's a perfect note to end on. Um, just like it was a hopeful story. Honestly, this was such a pleasure. Thank mm-hmm. you for creating this space and for, yeah, forcing me to read a book. <laughs> I Honestly, I don't, I don't know when I'd ever have read I this. I, there's so many other... Books, because you know, there's mm-hmm. there's always new releases, and people are like, oh, this is the best thing, and I I really don't like that about our world. That hype, hype. plays into yeah. your influences, yeah. and it's like I I never would have read this probably if we hadn't done this podcast. So thank you very much for such a enjoyable read, and for yeah, a book I'll never forget. We have to take a short break, and when we return, Lauren will make sure to see that none of us have been lobotomized when she teaches us her word of the book. Welcome back to Shit I Should Have Read in School. We like to end our show with Lauren giving us a quick vocab quiz on some words that she found in our book for the week. Lauren, what you got for us? All right. So on page 95 of my book, the word is maudlin, M-A-U-D-L-I-N. And I'll read the sentence that it's coming from. It's it's like front up, guys. So you just tune in early. Um, And then hopefully it should give (laughs) you you. context. (laughs) (laughs) to what this word might mean. Anyway, to put an end to this maudlin display of nostalgia, in the course of our conversation, McMurphy and I wondered what would be the attitude of some of the men toward a carnival here on the ward. Maudlin. Ooh, so maudlin sounds like vaudeville, which is like a show (laughs) and like a comedy show at that. So I think maudlin, like vaudlin, would be like this act type of, like this, uh, like a showmanship of an act. Okay. Um, right. I'm going to go maudlin and nostalgic. So those are synonyms. So it means a thought about a throwback. 
<laughs> Katie's a little closer on this one. Oh, oh you got it from Baudville. I was going to say, the way, she, the way you got there was tough. Is incorrect. <laughs> yeah, the way she got there was incorrect. So Maudlin, Doesn't matter how you get there. But you, I think you'll relate to this quite well, though, Katie. Uh, Maudlin is drunk enough to be emotionally silly. So... Like, have you ever just been like so happy that you're just like like drunk, like drunk happy, but not really drunk? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. I know. I think you can relate to that. It's got nothing to do with vaudeville or however you got there, <laughs> but you were at least closer to the vein and the theme with like the silliness. Um, so then, my real world practical use was: I mean, have you guys have gotten your wisdom teeth removed? Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> I was told the anesthesia would either make me wake up after surgery positively maudlin or inconsolably crying. Take a guess as to which one I woke up from the anesthesia as. <laughs> inconsolably crying. Yep. <laughs> to the point where my mom was like, Lauren, the nurse says if you don't stop crying, you can't go home. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Mind you, not crying about anything in particular, but just woke up inconsolable. But other people wake up maudlin they are just laughing hysterically again for no reason but just like drunk happy silly does that That's make sense fair. we mm-hmm. like that i like that yeah mm-hmm. maudlin 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 mm-hmm. i think vodka makes me maudlin tequila makes me aggressive <laughs> <That's fair. laughs> that is fair that is fair <laughs> drunk on silliness <laughs> title of my next memoir definitely the antithesis of most of this book <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the op- yes, absolutely. <laughs> this is what antithesis means. I heard Correct. it back. <laughs> I like big words. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, that's it for the first episode. Woo! We did it. Woo! A big thank you to Ivana Lynch oh being gosh. our first extra credit guest. The Setting best. the bar. She is so poignant. <laughs> She's much smarter than us. Yeah. She is much smarter than us. <laughs> It's true. Our next book that Ooh. people can follow along, they can read it, they can not read it. We don't care. We're going to read them anyway. But if you want to follow along, uh, Lisa Marie, what are we reading next? Yeah, next time we're going to read The Picture of Dorian Gray. Ooh, um, so you can hear wild. all about um, Oscar Wilde's book and all our Katie's thoughts vanity. on aging and youth. And it'll be super fun. Listen to Katie and I come to a standoff. <laughs> you don't know us very well, but uh, I'm going to soon. <laughs> it's going to be wild. Oh, oh, let's go take yeah. a lap. We should, I should take a lap. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't end yeah. our first one like that. Yeah, right. let's go. Cool. How should we uh, sign off these podcasts? Should we do a fun little like, and that's the way the cookie comes No, out, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, should we just dump out with a classic like, bye. Bye. All right, keep it simple. Bye. Love it. <laughs> Three, two, one. Bye. bye. <laughs> oh, I hate that and I love that for us. <laughs> <laughs>